Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and happy Easter. And today we are in uh, the first week of Easter, at near the end, uh, Friday octave of Easter. So uh, we're going to continue. Uh, we're going to read the scripture today for this uh for this Friday octave of Easter, and then we're going to continue the article um, seeing this weird phenomenon that's rising, trying to rehabilitate the image of Judas Iscariot, the traitor. Anyway, so here's the entrance antiphon for today. It's Psalm 78. The Lord led his people in hope while the sea engulfed their foes. Alleluia. The Lord led his people in hope while the sea engulfed their foes. Alleluia. A picture of baptism, of grace, of sanctification. Okay, now we go into the Gloria. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son. Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so, the first reading. Acts chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. After the crippled man had been cured, while Peter and John were still speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple guards, the Sadducees, confronted them. Uh, disturbed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They laid hands on Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word came to believe, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. On the next day, their leaders, elders, and scribes were assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly class. They brought them into their presence and questioned them. By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, answered them, Leaders of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a cripple, namely by what means he was saved, then all of you and all the people of Israel should know that it was in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. In his name this man stands before you healed. He is the stone rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is no salvation through anyone else, nor is there any other name under heaven given to the human race by, by which we are to be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, the psalm, responsorial psalm, is a Psalm 118. The stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. Alleluia. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Israel say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his mercy endures forever. The stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. Alleluia. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done. It is wonderful in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. The stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. Alleluia. O Lord, grant us salvation. O Lord, grant us prosperity. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. The stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. Alleluia. And the gospel, um, the Alleluia Antiphon, Psalm 118. Alleluia, Alleluia. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Alleluia, Alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 21, verse 1 to 14. Jesus came over and took the bread and gave it to them. And in like manner, the fish, I'm sorry, this is the, um, the, uh, alle, this is the Alleluia Antiphon. Okay. And then the reading, actually it is, it is from John's gospel. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Reading from the Holy gospel, according to St. John 21, verse one to 14, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples at the sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Together were Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We also will come with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. When it was already dawn, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, No. So he said to them, Cast the net over the right side of the boat, and you will find something. So they cast it, and were not able to pull it in because of the number of the fish. So the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tucked in his garment, for, it was, for he was lightly clad, and jumped into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, for they were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards, dragging in that with the fish. When they climbed out on shore, they saw a charcoal fire with the fish on it and its and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you just caught. So, so Simon Peter went over and dragged the net ashore full of 153 large fish. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come over, come have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they realized it was the Lord. Jesus came over, took the bread, and gave it to them. And in like manner the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to his disciples after being raised from the dead. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This... Uh, this particular passage here is very interesting. This is the third time Jesus revealed himself. And it's interesting. He takes him back where it all began. Um, it's an interesting um, look at it. I mean, Peter jumps into the water. And I think it was a Fulton Sheen who pointed out here. Um, the Lord is standing on shore and... The apostles are on the boat, which is the church. And as soon as um, they caught the fish, John the apostle said, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tucked in his garment, for he was tightly clad and jumped into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, for they were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards, dragging the net with the fish. When they climbed out on shore, they saw the charcoal, charcoal fire with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish for you just caught. Simon Peter went on over and dragged the net ashore full of 153 large fish. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. 
the net was not torn. Basically, um, <laughs> it that's a symbol, I guess, of the net was not torn. An amazing thing. I mean, first of all, Peter was pretty strong, and that I guess shows that the church itself. Uh, or the gospel, the message of the gospel will not be lost, that Peter's mission, Peter's responsibility would not fail. His his mission, he would not lose all that that were meant to be caught, I guess. There's a lot that there's there's a lot there to study. But it was interesting. Um I was listening to a um a podcast and uh there's a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Prego. He's he has a show, a podcast on symbolism and uh, all the all the symbolic the symbolic world. I think it's called. And it's interesting that he said that pretty much everything is everything in the gospel, everything that we have the that that Jesus is trying to teach is always the event back in the garden. Like he mentioned, okay, you have Adam and you have the tree of life, the eternal life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Our Lord is the new Adam and he goes to Golgotha. Everything, the the garden is not just a garden, it's a mountain. That's why if you notice... um, the ark is placed on the mountain when the after the flood you find the ark which is the picture of the church picture of the temple picture of the path to god on a mountain on a mountain mount arad then you also have moses he has to go up the mountain to get the law to get the 10 commandments and he has to talk to god on the mountain because that's paradise God is paradise. Uh, Abraham has to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain. All right? He has to, uh, on the mountaintop. Uh, Jesus, when he's crucified, he's cross, he's crucified on the Skull Mountain. But the way to paradise was to defeat death. And he's crucified between two thieves. One is represents knowledge, evil, the thief that's damned. The other one is becomes the tree um, of life. Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And what does he say? Today you shall you shall be with me. In paradise. So you see, they represent the two trees, the, the good thief and the bad thief. I didn't realize it myself, but he was right. He was right. I mean, the more you you learn, you learn from other people. He, he himself was a Protestant who became an Orthodox Christian. And then suddenly, uh, when you look at it, what happens? Christ dies. And the veil of the temple is torn in two. The veil. What was the veil? Remember, there was a um, an angel, a, ser- a seraph, an angelic being, placed him with a fiery sword, blocking everyone to the to paradise, to the the tree of life. That veil is the angel. Okay, the high priest is only allowed in only once a year. It's interesting when you look at it, right? Adam and Eve, the veil, the first veil, is made from linen, a plant-based, kind of like cotton, a little bit, right? Adam and Eve covered themselves with leaves, all right, which probably... Either was something similar to linen, linen made from a plant leaves. Later on, they're covered in skins. 
skins. And in order, and that was a skins coming from a lamb or a goat. All right. Wool is made from a lamb. Wool is made from a lamb. So therefore, something has to die in order for you to cover yourself in something uh, like you know, skins, right? You can't take the skin off the animal without killing the animal. So that's that's a picture of the sacrifice. The pre one is a picture of paradise, <clears throat> of innocence that they lost. The skins are a picture of the sacrifice in order to remove their sins to bring them back to paradise. So it's very interesting when you think about it. It's very interesting. I believe that the first curtain to enter into the temple has to be, I think, uh, I think I remember now I got it wrong, uh, made of wool. To get to paradise, you've got to go to the curtain of linen, to, to in, in, you know, of linen, you know, the like cotton or, or, or linen, basically. It's very interesting when, how he explained it. And basically like, the the serpent the serpent basically um cuz ser serpents are like spiral in a sense spiral when the serpent um he hides himself in the tree he basically comes down as a symbol of his fall to deceive the woman right when moses had to put the pole with the with the um the serpent on it, it's reverse, kind of like because before, in a sense, the serpent, uh, the serpent himself, the devil, is the being who fell. So therefore, he wishes to keep man down, blocking human beings from going up to God, trying to stop man from seeing and knowing God by going up. So it's, 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 it's very interesting. It's very interesting how he, he explains it because these stories, like he mentions, especially when you look in the old myths, uh, myths such as the pagan myths, all pretty much have a being who has to descend into the netherworld to defeat death. Of course, they, they never really fully had the answer because their stories are based are constantly stories of struggle and triumph. Um, Beowulf uh, has to battle the dragon. It's a picture again of Michael the archangel and Beowulf has to die in order for his people to live. You know, except there's hardly really much of a, there's no resurrection, but all these myths are preparations, are poetry, songs and everything preparing us for the ultimate true story, which is Christ. And, and, you know, and we can see that, um, it's very, it's very fascinating. And when you look at these things and when you see the here, it's known as, it's interesting how they have to get to the shore. Now there's nothing blocking them. There's nothing blocking them. They, there's food prepared for them. They have access. Now the church has access to paradise. Jesus has food prepared for them. He has bread and there's fish and most likely some wine there. And he's sitting by the fire, right? Peter sees the fire because it reminds him of the fact that he, he denied the Lord three times. And he was with the, with the, he was sitting at the court where he denied him was in the courtyard. And he he could not he could not admit who uh that he knew Jesus he denied him it's interesting because Judas paid Judas got paid to reveal him and betray him peter peter then suddenly like in a sense doesn't didn't want didn't want to even admit he ever knew him and he ran out of the night weeping. For Judas, it was dark, but Judas went ahead. He had the shame to admit he did wrong. But he could not see that who Jesus is still. He, he knows that he's innocent. 
but he doesn't, you know, he can't admit, he cannot, he cannot see him to be God. He goes and hangs himself. Peter comes back repentant. He sees the fire. He realizes what he did. He goes back. He brings in all the fish. The net doesn't break. Even in his state, what he realized, he knows he did wrong. But he wants to fulfill his mission. He wants to fulfill his mission. He wants to bring souls to the Lord. Even in his failure, in his failure to, to, have, to have enough courage and faith to admit, I know you. I know that I know this man. I know my Lord. But Jesus redeems him three times. Kind of a symbol of the Trinity. He redeems him. I mean, this is this is very important because we have to understand that, that we have a choice either to become Simon Peter or Judas Iscariot. All right. And many of the men in the church, many of the men in the church today, for some reason, it's psychological. They want to rehabilitate Judas. They don't want to even be a Peter. Peter knows he did wrong. Peter knows he did wrong. Peter knows he, he, he failed. He failed Jesus. Okay. And he knows who Jesus is. Judas betrays Jesus, but doesn't know who Jesus is. Doesn't even believe who Jesus is. Doesn't believe who Jesus is. Has the shame to admit he did wrong, but still doesn't believe that Jesus is God. Peter denies him, but still knows he's God. You know, that's why I love that scene in Jesus of Nazareth. Um, I, th I can't remember the actor's name. I know he's from, originally from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, an uh, Italian-American actor. And there's a scene where after... Um, after it started to rain, it's thunder, he's hiding, Peter's hiding. He realizes the Lord has expired. And he's crying. And he's crying out, Lord, help me. And he yells, my Lord, help me. Take me back. Take me back. It's raining heavily. And that, I think, is most of us, most of us. See, I think Peter's grace, the grace that was given to Peter, was that he still knows who the Lord is. He still, know, he still knows that Jesus is God. Well, Judas couldn't see that and hanged himself. Peter had the grace, at least that one grace, to know that he, he knows who he betrayed. And his penitent state, even though he was in a state of sin and, and, and lost, his, lost it, but he still had the knowledge. And that's important. We all know when we come back, we know when we go to confession, we know. When we pray and ask for help, even after we've sinned, and we still acknowledge him to be God, that's that's a state of grace that we still have. And that helps us to go coming back to him, as painful as it is. When we're cut off, we're confused. But we still know, I know he's God. I know he can forgive me. I know I can, I can be restored back in that relationship. And that's important. I don't know why they they rather relate to Judas. Because Judas did not come back. Judas doesn't come back. He goes and hangs himself. Judas doesn't have the grace to come back. That's the weird part about the whole thing. It doesn't make any sense. Peter does come back. Peter wants to come back. Peter wants to be taken back. I'd rather be Peter be taken back. All right, let's go to the article. All right, so this is an article just recently. It's by John Henry Weston. 
uh, April 7, 2021, LifeSite News. According to the Vatican's own newspaper, uh, La Asvatore Romano, Pope Francis has placed a painting of a resurrected new Jesus ministering to Judas Iscariot's uh, Judas Iscariot, Christ's own betrayer, behind the Pope's desk in his personal study in the Vatican. Extremely weird. The Vatican newspaper dedicated the first three pages of Holy Thursday's edition to Judas and called into question, as Pope Francis has done, Judas's damnation. Although Pope Francis has several times already suggested that Judas is not in hell, that notion directly conflicts with statements of a previous of previous popes and our lord himself who said of judas it would be better for him that he had not been born la li osvatore romano which is officially approved before publication featured as its cover photo a scandalous painting of a nude resurrected Jesus ministering to Judas. And if that's not bad enough, the accompanying editorial explains that that the painting was inspired by one of Pope Francis' books that suggests that Judas may not be in hell. And that the artist, the artist gave it to Francis, who had placed it behind his desk in his personal study along with the statue of Jesus carrying Judas as a lost sheep. Now, I hate to say, this is John Henry Wesson speaking, but considering that the track record of Pope Francis, it's not all that surprising that he has such a fascination with Judas. Too many faithful Catholics, it seems, like Francis, is betraying the mystical body of Christ in much of the same way that Judas betrayed our Lord, uh, you know, it's betraying. Uh, okay, hold on, let me read it again. Too many faithful, faithful Catholics. It seems like Francis is betraying, betraying the mystical body of Christ, in, in much the same way that Judas betrayed our Lord. This painting has, this painting being uh, being behind the Pope's desk and placed on the cover of the Vatican newspaper is itself a scandal. Andrea Andrea Mundi, the director of La Asvatore Roman, explains in the Vatican newspaper's editorial that the painting was inspired by Francis' 2018 book, uh, Quanto Preghete Deity Pedra Nostro, in which Francis suggests the salvation of Judas, the salvation of Judas Iscariot. It's not the first time Francis has pushed the notion that Judas may be saved. Last April, he did the same thing in a televised homily, homily in his private chapel on Wednesday of Holy Week, where he had to read that very passage where Jesus says it would be better if Judas had not been born. And this, this is interesting. How did Judas end up? I don't know, said Pope Francis at the time. Okay, as often happens, Pope Francis lets his trusted men speak with more vigor than he himself would. In December last year, one of the Pope one of Pope Francis' most trusted allies in the Vatican, Archbishop Vinciano Paglia, went so far as to say that all those who say Judas is in hell are heretics. Paglia, who is the president of the Pontifical Academy for Life, said on December 10th, 2020, that we must also remember that for the Catholic Church, if someone says that Judas is in hell, he is a heretic. Huh. In that same address, Paglia asserted that, the, that a priest may legitimately remain at the bedside of someone undergoing assisted suicide in order to hold their hand and accompany them again with the accompaniment nevertheless the teaching of the church is clear 
on the damnation of Judas Iscariot. The Catechism of the Catholic, Catholic uh, Catechism of the Council Trent is very explicit on the point, saying that Judas is a lost soul and body, and that he that he, that his betrayal, despite his priesthood, brought him everlasting destruction. Moreover, the first pope, St. Peter, was clear that after Judas was betrayed, uh, Judas betrayed our Lord, he had to be replaced as an apostle, whereas after the death of other apostles, they were not replaced. Theologian Peter uh, Kowanski explains that this point well in an essay at the Rorata Celli. The first pope argues that Judas, by his transgression, fell away from the apostleship forever. Note that Judas was the only apostle who, whose place had to be filled after, after his death. When James was killed by Herod, Acts chapter 12, verse 2, Peter and others did not uh, appoint another man as James's, James's substitute. Hmm. There were there were successors to the other apostles, and many more than twelve of them, but no other replacement. Ultimately, all of the original eleven, together with Matthias, left this world in death to become the everlasting foundation stones of the heavenly Jerusalem, and the wall of the city, uh, and, and the wall of the city. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, twelve uh, foundation stones in them. Which, which are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. But sim put simply, an apostle who died in a state of grace is an apostle forever, irreplaceable, going to his reward as a permanent foundation stone of the church. This can only mean that Judas, who had to be replaced, died in sin and lost his ministry and the apostleship forever. He went to his own place, that is the place that befitted, befitted him in hell. But we hardly need to go to the catechism or even to the first pope in this question when our Lord himself has already been explicit. Three times in scripture, Jesus is recorded as in, in indicating Jesus' ultimate fate. In John chapter 6, verse 71, Jesus calls Judas a devil. He says, have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? The, the following verse explains. Now he him now he meant Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for the same, for this for this same was about to betray him, whereas he was one of he was one of the twelve. In John chapter seventeen verse twelve, Jesus calls Judas the son of perdition, in his prayer to God and the Father. While I was with them. I kept them in thy name. Those whom thou givest me have I kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. That is, the script, that scripture may be fulfilled. And finally, in both the Gospel of Matthew 26, verse 24, and Mark 14, verse 21, we hear Jesus saying of Judas, it would be better if this, if that man had never been born. I'm telling you, I mean, I don't know if I want to hear anyone say that about me. If it's, 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 it's scary. It's scary. And it's, it's, it's sad. As Cardinal Avery Dulles once reflected when contemplating these verses in an article about the fate of Judas, if Judas were among the saved, these statements could hardly be true. Many saints and doctors of the church, including St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas, have taken it taken as, as revealed truth that Judas was a reprobate. So let us never presume our salvation. Let us rather work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I chastise my body and bring it to, to, to subjugation, least perhaps when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. Hell is not empty of human souls, as Our Lady of Fatima revealed to the three children of Fatima. 
there are many, many souls falling into hell like snowflakes. That is why this life is all about winning our eternal salvation. St. Paul likens it to a race which we have to run in order to win. So let us run the race. Let's fight the good fight. Let's strive to get to that place where St. Paul was right before his uh was right before his martyrdom when he said second timothy verse four i am even now ready to be sacrificed and the time of my desolation is at hand i have fought a good fight i have finished my course i have kept the faith and as to the first uh uh, as to as as to the rest that there, there is there is laid up for me a crown of justice which the lord the just judge will render to me in that day and not only to me but to them also that love his coming <clears throat> this is this is fantastic and i and, and it's all here i mean it all makes sense everything that john henry weston but i want to go to this article by um cardinal um, Avery Dulles. I want to see what he says here. This is an article by him. It's, I think this is good. Ah, first things. Okay. Yeah, I that this a lot of this doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't really make any sense at all. I actually just downloaded the article uh, of the former Cardinal Dulles, but I'm going to read it another time. Uh, I'm going to go to the article, actually, on um, that uh, Paglia, what he says. It's really weird. Uh, I, I, this whole thing with the clergy focusing on Judas, I think it just, it's just it's psychological. It's a spiritual, psychological thing. Uh, why? <laughs> For Pope Francis to say, I don't know where Judas is. When you have all the teachings, the scripture, you have our Lord, you have the teachings of the church, you have uh, St. Augustine, St. Jerome, uh, all the church fathers, the Eastern fathers, and to say you don't know if Judas is in heaven or hell, you don't think Judas is in hell, you don't believe Judas is in hell, this is, this is not, it's not good. This is not good. He, you know, I know there are good Jesuits out there. I know there are good Orthodox Jesuits out there. Unfortunately, they're overcome. They're overshadowed by this ambiguity of the Vatican II Jesuit, of the of this Vatican II um ambiguousness of that, that Pope Francis loves to practice. Judas Iscariot, I don't think, was just greedy. I don't think it had anything to do just with avarice, avarice alone, not his his lust for money alone. For for Jesus to to say that this man it would have been better that this man have never have never been born. Who wants to hear that said about them? He would have to have been really evil for Satan to enter him. I don't think he was just playing greed. There had to have been other sins, maybe reflective of the, of the kind of evil clergy we see now going on. Who knows? I mean, we'll never really know because the scriptures doesn't doesn't tell us any more than that. He must have been a kind of person that didn't fit in. All the others were from Galilee. According to some scholars, they think he came, he obviously came from Judea. He obviously um, must have been a little bit more cultured than the rest. It's strange that he began to handle the money purse when Matthew, who was a tax collector, who had all the skills of handling money, uh, you know, and there's a dog, dog barking outside. But anyway, 
it just seems to me rather odd that he just comes in and all of a sudden he became the financial manager, the, the, the treasurer. Maybe because Matthew worked for the Romans, that's why he wasn't trusted, possibly. Maybe that's, that's the whole thing. Maybe it was better off that Matthew didn't handle the money. You know, maybe, who knows? But it's obvious he took over somehow. And he doesn't have a lot of lines. I mean, except for the fact that he spoke up because uh, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, uh, poured the nard over the, the spike nard, which is from India, a, a very beautiful perfume nard over his feet and head, prepare, you know, giving him a, a, a loving devotion. And he got all the others to speak up. I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of... Uh, uh, manipulation of of you know of the group you know that there was a lot of jealousy everyone was fighting to be the lord's favorite the sons of zebedee would try to um you know they tried to sort of like be his favorites you know they're using their mother to put them in a very high position which caused a lot of jealousy but judas was a strange kind of figure. He was always named the last on the list and he always stood apart from the others. And he might've been a cause of contention. He might've been, um, he, he, I don't think he was easy liked. I mean, Thomas, uh, the apostle and even Matthew and, you know, and, and, um, even Simon the Zealot appears to be a revolutionary. All the others seem to have fit in because they're all from Galilee. And even Matthew is from Galilee. So they all fit in, but Judas didn't fit in. Even it was probably easier for Mary Magdalene and a few women to fit in because they're all from Galilee. Besides of her, her earlier career and reputation as a prostitute or, or, or whatever position she had that, you know, her demonic uh, former uh, possession, she, she seemed to have fit in very easily, but not Judas. So I really don't understand uh, this, um, this, ref this reflection, this, uh, the way he's reflecting on it. It doesn't make any sense. Let's move on to the other article on Paglia. All right. So excuse me, uh, pardon the dog barking in the background. That's my, uh, my, uh, neighbor's dog. Uh, the ones that the same people I'm having trouble with upstairs, but anyway, it's been, it's, it hasn't been too bad lately. Unfortunately, um, there was only been, only been a few minor minor disturbances, but um, um, gonna have to improve my prayer life. <laughs> Vatican Archbishop: Those who say Judas is in hell are heretics, and priests may accompany assisted suicides. This is from 2019. This article, but it's by Diane Montania, and she's pretty good. But this this um. I guess we're tracing back, we're seeing, knowing what John Henry Weston said in the previous article, so now we can see. This is from December 11th, 2019, okay? Head of the Pontifical Academy for Life says priests may hold the hands of patients as they go through assisted suicide. You see how these guys, now it seems to be, you can see the the, the psychological relationship there's a failure of faith, a failure of, I think, of, of, of understanding, of commitment to Christ. And they relate more with Judas Iscariot, who happens to be a suicide. Judas was a suicide. Rome, December 11th, 2019. In a statement difficult to reconcile with scripture and tradition, Archbishop Vincenio Pelagilia uh, Pagalia, Pagalia, I'm sorry, Pagalia, 
president of the Pontifical Academy for Life, has claimed on behalf of the Catholic Church that anyone who says Judas Iscariot is in hell is a heretic. This this goes this is this goes against everything. In an even more disturbing statement, the Italian Archbishop has also asserted that a priest may legitimately remain at the bedside of someone undergoing assisted suicide in order to hold their hand and, here's the word, accompany them. Archbishop Paglia comments came on December 10th at the presentation of a multi-faith international symposium on religion and medical ethics, uh, palliative care and elderly mental health being held in Rome uh, between December 11th and 12th, I guess, of 2019. The symposium, a co-sponsored by Pontifical Academy for Life, and the World Innovation Summit for Health, which is called WISH, an initiative of Corta Foundation, is chiefly focused on Christian and Muslim perspective on end-of-life issues. Following the formal presentation at the Holy See Press Office on Tuesday, a journalist asked Archbishop Paglia for his views on, on December 5th statement issued by the Bishop of Switzerland and requiring priests and Catholic pastoral caregivers to leave the room before a lethal injection or other means of suicide is administered. A 30-page document of the Swiss bishops titled Pastoral Behavior with Regard to the Practice of Assisted Suicide comes in response to increasing rates of assisted suicide in Switzerland. It states that assisted suicide is radically against the gospel message and its practice is a serious attack on the preservation of the life of the, of the human person that must be protected from conception until natural death. Okay, we all believe that. Archbishop Paglia, who serves as chancellor of the new John Paul II Institute for Marriage, Family, Sciences in Rome, and presided over the former institute's demolition. Okay, I'm, I'm going to get to that part. Uh, said he has not read this that statement and issued by the Swiss bishops in detail, but doesn't believe that anyone should ever be abandoned. Okay, there was a, uh, a big controversy uh, of Francis and uh, Pagalia, uh, Paglia or Pagalia. I know I'm, I'm, I'm I know I'm, I'm, I'm botching the name, uh, his last name. Uh, not, it's not deliberate. Um, they, they cleaned house. Uh, I'll say it in, in a very simple term. Uh, of the John Paul Institute on the Family and Life and Science and Study, and basically they, they cleaned house. Francis doesn't want it to reflect the John Paul. A lot of these guys don't want the John Paul uh, scholars there. Uh, they actually cleaned house. Uh, it, was a, it, was, it was a traumatic thing. A lot of people were shocked by it because uh, John Paul's, uh, his conservative, nervous order views, let's put it that way. I know a lot of people are not going to like me saying that, but try to understand it a little bit here. <clears throat> He he was very pro-life, did not believe in assisted suicide, uh, held on to a lot of conservative conservative views, much of it coming from the from the uh, before the, the, the reforms, and even Benedict himself and uh, several others have uh, have have held on to a lot of conservative views. Francis and his posse, Pope Francis and his posse, are more radically liberal. That's that, that annoying dog. They they hold on. They hold on. They 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 want more radical views. They want more progressive views, and it shocked everybody. It shocked everybody because 
that's like something you don't touch. You don't touch the John Paul Institute. You don't do that. It, it, it's, it, they never thought of, they never thought that would happen. And it did. And, and, uh, Paglia or Pegalia, Pegalia actually took over and they're going to put Francis's doctrines, his ideas into the John Paul Institute, pretty much making it a Francis Institute. But they're doing it, they're hijacking it, they're taking over it. They're just hoping people would stop paying attention to it and not, and not, and not notice it anymore. Okay, so let's go. Let's let's move on. Um, all right. So, okay, Archbishop Pegalia, who serves as Chancellor of the New John Paul II, New John Paul II Institute for Marriage, Family, Sciences in Rome, and presided over the the former institute's demolition, said he has not read the statement issued by the Swiss bishops in detail, but doesn't believe that anyone should ever be abandoned. We are against assisted suicide because we do not want to do the do, the dirty work of death because we are all we are all well aware that for believers life goes on he continued to accompany and hold he continued to accompany and hold the hand of those who are dying is therefore the great task of every believer he said along with fighting the culture of assisted suicide which represents a great defeat for society Okay, here's the problem there. Okay, by telling the priest to sit there and hold that person's hand and sort of accompany them, this is what he's telling everybody, you're pretty much, you're pretty much, um, you're giving your consent, you're giving your assent. The same way they keep quiet and they give Holy Communion to politicians who support abortion and transgenderism, you're pretty much keeping quiet. What they're doing is they're just simply letting 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 them walk over you. Okay? By not talking about it from the pulpit, by not saying anything against it in the pulpit, by simply this idea of 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 um not speaking out about same-sex marriage, you're pretty much just keeping quiet. They don't want it. They want to be liked. Again, they want to be liked. They don't want to be mean. They don't want to be pushed out. They can't speak up. They can't say anything. They don't want to say anything. We cannot turn assisted suicide into a wise choice, he said. Archbishop Pegelia then clarified, I always celebrate funerals for those who commit suicide. Again, you just simply accepting it because suicide is always a question of unfulfilled love. Oh. We must also remember that for the Catholic Church, if someone says that Judas is in hell, he's a heretic. There it is right there. I know it sounded like we weren't getting there, but we got to it. The assertion that saying Judas is in hell is a tantamount to heresy is surprise, uh, surprising given the clear teaching of sacred scripture. The fathers and the doctors of the church and the liturgy, as Cardinal Avery Dillis once explained in an article that titled The Population of Hell. The New Testament does not tell us in so many words that any particular person is in hell, but several statements about Judas can hardly be interpreted otherwise. Jesus says that he has kept all those whom the Father has given him, except the son of perdition, John chapter 17, verse 12. At another point, Jesus calls Judas a double, John chapter 6, verse 70, and yet again says of him, it would be better for that man if he had never been born, Matthew 26, verse 24, Mark 14, verse 21. If Judas were among the saved, these statements could hardly be true. Many saints and doctors of the church, including St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas, have taken it as a as, as revealed truth that Judas was reprobated. Some of the fathers place the name of Nero in the same select company, but they do not give a long list of names, as Dante would do. Indeed, sacred scripture, Pope St. Leo, 
the Great, St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Catherine of Siena, the Catechism of the Council of Trent, and the Church's Liturgy are all of one accord regarding the fate of Judas Iscariot. Furthermore, as Canon 750 and 751 confirm, as well as Pope John Paul II's 1998 motto proprio, ad tendum fidium, for any assertion to be qualified as a heresy, it must contradict divine revelation. According to what the Church has proposed, as divinely revealed, nowhere in sacred scripture or tradition is it said that Judas is not in hell. Asked if a priest can therefore accompany a person who undergoes a suicide, Archbishop Pegalia said the issue goes beyond laws and that he didn't want to give a rule to contradict and so on. In other words, he doesn't want to make a decision. Okay, he's passing the buck. I would like to remove ideology from these situations forever and for everyone. The Archbishop said, For me, those who take their own lives manifest the failure of the whole of society, but not of God, and God never abandons anyone. Unbelievable. Let's avoid getting stuck in ideological debates. He sounds like all the other cardinals and priests and bishops now. None of them want to make a decision. All of them just want to be liked and they don't want they don't want to argue. They just want to get through this whole thing and let's, you know, let's not talk about difficult issues. Let's not talk about things that are uncomfortable. They don't want to make a decision. They don't want to put ground, you know, ground their heels on the ground and 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 stand up. They just roll over. Just roll with it. Let's avoid getting stuck in ideological debates, he said. What is most important is accompaniment. There's that word again, people. Accompaniment. We think of laws when the most serious thing is the abandonment of thousands and thousands of sick people, even when there is a law, perhaps because they don't get votes. That is so stupid. I'm sorry. This is That is the most stupid thing I have ever heard. Life, embracing your cross, embracing your cross. They don't know, they don't have faith. They don't have faith. They don't know the gospel. They haven't had it preached to them. They don't know any, they don't have anyone to show them how to suffer. I know it's a difficult, a difficult matter. I think if you re if 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 you if they had a strong church with strong leadership with strong we're we're very materialistic society. Look, I know my faults. I know I'm overweight. I know I got a weight problem. I know I got a gluttony problem. I know I have uh I know I know I have faults and I know my own sins. And I'm not perfect. By the by, by any means, like I, I'm a work in progress. Okay, by any means, I'm not I'm not perfect in my faith. Okay, I know that. But I rather still try to try to climb that mountain. Okay, and unsophisticated that I am. I'm going to still try to climb that mountain. I'm still going to try to walk that straight and narrow road. And I know I'm going to fall down. All right. And I know I'm going to probably eat my own words along the way and embarrass myself along the way, fall down far more than probably Christ did three times. But I re at least, I like I said, I can relate to Simon Peter. I can probably relate. Uh, I wish I could be Simon of Cyrene and help Jesus carry his cross. Okay. I'd rather be one of those guys than to, than to be someone who threw the towel in. Jesus didn't commit suicide because he didn't, he didn't, you know, during the flogging, 
and the spitting and the humiliation that was given to him by the Roman soldiers or the crowds. Okay, I'm sure it was, There's, you know, for some people, no, 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 no. I, I can't do that. I think the millions of people that died in the gulags and the concentration camps, those poor people who who probably cried to die a thousand times during one day were probably because a lot of people did not know how to to deny sin. I think much of our own failures as Christians wound up wound up causing the death because of, because we 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 didn't fast, we didn't deny sin. We became materialistic and thus the birth of evil comes out. Just like what's happening now in our society now with all these, with all these uh, riots and everything. Because we don't know how to embrace the cross. We don't love the cross. Love the cross. Embrace the cross. Embrace, embrace it with Christ. Embrace your pain and suffering united to the cross. That's what all the saints keep telling us. But because we don't do that, evil comes out and innocent lives suffer. All those poor brothers and sisters in China who have been abandoned, those are saints. Some of them are going to wind up becoming saints. They'll never be named in the roster. They'll never be named. They'll, ne they'll never have their names canonized. Those, those Coptic men who died under ISIS, remember when they were, they had all their uh, throats cut. Those Coptic Christians who, who died with suicide bombing in Cairo, you know, by, by, by Muslim terrorists. Those are saints. Because we don't embrace, we don't embrace it. Other people wound up, um, not willingly, but they wound up stepping in the forefront. They wound up because we don't have, we don't have, there's no, there's no heroic faith. There's no, there's no heroic faith. I admire, I admire those men. I don't think any of them, at least as far as I heard, denounce their faith. Those Coptic men, those Coptic martyrs. But, you know, we, we in the West, I'm sorry, but Pegalia should be ashamed of himself saying what he said. Okay. Um, let's go on here. Okay. We can end it up here perhaps because they don't get votes. In comments to LifeSite, a priest close to the Vatican speaking on condition of anonymity, uh, anonymous, he said, frankly, the first abandonment a Catholic and a priest should worry about is a is the possible or likely abandonment of a soul of such a person to hell supernaturally provoked an abandonment and suicide of one's soul for having voluntarily forsaken God's law his plan and his love then we could talk about other matters okay so this this person doesn't I, I I'm guessing he doesn't agree let's read, read it one more time in comments to LifeSite, a priest close to the Vatican speaking on condition of he's speaking anonymously said frankly the first abandonment a Catholic and a priest should worry about should worry about is the possible or likely abandonment of a soul of such a person into hell supernaturally provoked abandonment and suicide of one's soul for having voluntarily forsaken God's law, his plan and his love. Then we could talk about other matters. True accompaniment is in, is in this case means seeking to be close. Yes, but that does not mean scandalously holding their hand while they commit moral sin. That's, that's, that's the point as of condoning or remaining indifferent to it and being perceived as such. A priest must seek first and foremost to save a soul by telling that person what is at stake and not abandoning, abandoning him or her to his bad judgment. Indeed, that would be a true abandonment, although perhaps it would be less troublesome if a priest, if a priest 
and allow him to continue to be a priest by the world. He said, but ours is not the spirit or um, criterion of the world, uh, criterion of the world. We are creatures of the kingdom of heaven who wish to reach out our true home. Remember, I did the article where Fulton Sheen said, we are battling the spirit of the world. Pegelia, Pegelia is embracing the world. Accompaniment just means embracing the world. These guys, they're, they're more materialistic uh, priests. They're priests of the world. They're not priests of Christ. And I know a lot of people may not like hearing it, but that was, this is the end of the article. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. So anyway, I did um, finally got this article out of the way. Um, it's really unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, okay, well, I'm going to come back later on, hopefully without that dog barking in the background, and I'll do the uh, article by Dulles. I don't think um, our dear friend Pagalia is reading Cardinal Dulles's, uh words correctly. All right, let's end it with a Hail Mary. All right, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.